0: Over the past few years, three players and a coach from the club have gone on to represent the Hockey Ruse. Wansie speaks to two of the girls next. Welcome to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. Laura Barden and Sophie Taylor played all their junior careers at the club, went on to play seniors, State League One and Premier League, before breaking into the Hockey Ruse team. Club legend and hockey superstar David Wansborough joins our hosting
1: team and speaks to the girls next.
2: Welcome tonight. It's fantastic. Really exciting to have uh, a couple of our female stars from the Campbell Lobby Club uh, who have been in Perth of recent times with the Australian program preparing for the Tokyo Olympics. And due to obviously the corona situation, they've, been, um, they've had to come back here now to back to their families and homes and to, to reset, I guess, until the uh, coast is clear. But really exciting to have a couple of uh, young ladies that have come all the way through the club, uh, started as juniors, and um, have gone on to some great things at the highest level. So um, welcome, Sophie Taylor, and welcome to Laura Barden. Just tell us um, what has happened. It came back from birth in the last few weeks. What's been the upheaval in the process?
1: Yeah, so our program got shut down, um, I guess, once... All the gyms got shut down um, throughout of, throughout Australia and I guess things progressed pretty quickly. So we went from a Sunday afternoon of um, all systems were going ahead, the Olympics were going ahead, everything was happening um, to all of a sudden then by the Monday morning, training was cancelled, Hockey Australia High Performance had shut down and then we had the option to either return home uh, or stay in Perth depending on our um, different, I guess, circumstances. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we both made the decision to yeah, return back to Melbourne.
2: Did most girls come home or did some stay in Perth?
1: Uh, I would say about um, 50% came home, 50%
0: stayed in Perth. There's a few girls who have got almost their whole lives in Perth. Their partners live over there. They might have a mortgage on a house. Um, They've basically got their life set up over there. Um, And then there's also quite a few who are fortunate to have a great home base as well, who yeah, came home. And then there were a few girls who actually, because we, w- we didn't really know what was happening with all of the borders closing and things like that, when we were told on the Monday, some girls had to be home by Tuesday, one o'clock the next day. So it all happened rather quickly, but we got a lot of support from the staff over there, basically telling us that whatever decision we make, whether we stay or go, um, was going to be really well accepted, and yeah, they would support us from wherever we are in Australia. Basically,
2: it's an incredible situation, I guess, across all sport and business and family. So, in some ways, the fact the whole country, the whole world's moved this way, you know, made it a little bit uh, more normal, if anything, can be normal at the moment. But since you've been home, then it's now a couple of weeks. I'll start. I'll I'll, I'll start addressing you with names so you, <laughs> you know I'm talking to. You. But um, what what have you been doing, Sophie? Since you've been back, are you? Have you have a program, a strict program yet from Hockey Australia or are you left to your own devices?
1: Yeah, so we got um, kind of, I guess, three weeks off. And when I say off, um, there's not many athletes that would take three weeks um, sitting on the couch, um, as much as we all joke about how much we'd love to have a day off training here and there and everywhere. But yeah, we had three weeks where we could kind of, I guess, be left to our own devices, but we were also provided with a program that um, if we wanted to follow, we could. Um, and then that kind of finished up. Uh, on Monday and then now we're in the middle of a we've just started a 5 week block um, a bit of a return to pro uh, training or a daily training environment program I guess that will um I guess, it would be the kind of starting block for what is a long process getting back into the daily training environment. So um, it's pretty low-key, I guess, in comparison to what we're, we're used to at the moment, um, a couple of runs a week, a couple of gym sessions, a bit of mobility, uh, Pilates, those kind of things. But again, it's a guide. So um, for some, obviously, if they need um, that, I kind of guess, the structure, um, they're very if they need that structure, then they'll be using it, I guess, very closely. And then for others who kind of like to, I guess, design their own program or maybe use this time to maybe strengthen some of their weaker areas or even um, strengthen some of their strengths. And then, I guess, individuals have that licence to take the program in their own direction. But, yeah, we're definitely not, um, well, I definitely have not been just sitting on the couch. So exercise for me has, I guess, been probably my coping mechanism. And um, since returning home, probably over exercised. Um, and that was kind of, I guess, how I coped with the news of um, the program shutting down the Olympics. Um, yeah, being postponed. Um, I think within my first couple of days of being home, I'd run like four or five times in two days. I'd done like two or three gym sessions, um, which is, you know, as a physio, um, I would tell my, my patients not to do that. But it's amazing sometimes <laughs> as an individual how you cope. So yeah, that's, I guess, what's been keeping me busy in the hockey side of things, all the exercise side of things.
2: I guess one of the unique things about the Olympic hockey program is that squads have got four years to set themselves for Olympic Games. It's a, yes, there's other things that are important, but the goal ultimately for hockey still is that Olympic tournament. And um, so you, you obviously set the program up that way. Players individually think about their lives and, you know, um, moving it by year is obviously whatever age you are, whether you're 18 or 32, um, you've all got different things in your life you're juggling, whether it's studies or partners or mortgages, as you said before. So, Laura, has that been difficult? Um, I know it's only early days to get your head around it, but even that one year now of continuing, I guess, you know, because people are still competing for competing for spots in the team, that's got to almost, you know, you're starting, not starting from scratch, but it's got to be uh, uncertain again.
0: Yeah, completely. I think I've actually been in a quite a fortunate position because I only came back into the team this year Uh, that I was almost sort of preparing myself to want to be back in the team for the long run, so not just one year but potentially three, four and including the next Olympics. So I think, yes, it's a pushback for me, but I was always hoping to plan and stay in the team for quite a few years uh, where I know that compared to other people who might have, you know, been planning to have a baby or been planning to move back to their home state at the end of this year, a whole year pushed back um, can be like an even bigger deal where, yeah, I think I was prepared to sort of be in it for the long run. So it's just been pushed back a whole year, I suppose. Um, it's probably more just a from a, you know, goal setting, and organizational point, you know, you go over, you do a really hard preseason because everything is about the Olympics. I think our coach probably spoke uh, every week, almost every training about Olympic selection, this, that. Um, so there probably wouldn't have been a day which went by where we didn't think about something to do with the Olympics. Oh, should I do this stretch? Oh, yeah, maybe I should do this recovery. It will probably be good for my Olympic preparation. And then all of a sudden, just one swift moment, it just all gets taken up from you. But like anyone's situation, people probably lost something important or something they were looking forward to um, in the later half of this year and ours just happened to be the pinnacle of our sport. Uh, but lucky it's still happening. It's just postponed a bit. Four more pre seasons to go, and then we'll finally get there.
2: <laughs> and I guess for hockey, you know, if you're a swimmer and a rower, where that time, the event where you've got to peak and, and and get a certain time, at least with hockey, you're running around a field. It's it's not ideal, but maybe that the way the sport is, that um, you know, it still leaves doors open, and uh, you know, the athletes can keep improving without being against a clock as as precise as perhaps what sports are. Would that be fair to say?
0: oh yeah, completely. Like you heard about all of the swimming and things like that. Some of them hadn't even qualified because their qualifying events hadn't happened. So we're in a really fortunate position where the team last year, which Soph was in, got us qualified for Olympics. And we've been confirmed that we are still now qualified for this 2021 Olympics. Unfortunately, probably being away from the team just means that you might get a bit of disconnect between the actual culture and um, relationships in the team. You sort of always presume that We've been playing hockey for 14, 15, 16 years. Hopefully, the skills will come back, even if we might be a bit rusty for the first few sessions. But it's almost that player connection and on-field connection, which might be lost for a bit, having been away from each other for so long. But we'll be able to regain that, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, that's a very interesting situation, never yeah, unique that happened before. Let's um, jump back a bit and go back to both of yours, your journey, I guess, starting at the early days. You're both incredibly, you know, to see you here now talking about potentially going to the Olympics, and yet... You both went through the, the junior program at Camberwell and um, uh, and, and you know, quite similar ways. You know, in a lot of ways, played mixed or have you? Do want to start with, you so uh, how I guess you came down to the club and what your junior hockey sort of when you would sum it up. The juniors at Camberwell, you obviously had other hockey, rep hockey, and school hockey, but it was clearly a big part of your of your upbringing.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I reflect back and some of my junior um, memories at Camberwell, uh, honestly like some of my best ever hockey memories. Um, I was really fortunate with the group, I guess, that I went through. I played mixed and the boys, um, yeah, were incredibly accommodating and um, just amazing and were always so inclusive and I never felt out of place. And you hear stories these days of, you know, young AFL um, footballers, the females who played with the boys and then got kicked out and the boys, you know, weren't always accommodating and different things like that. Like I never experienced anything like that. Um, I guess every single coach um, I had throughout that journey just always I guess took extra care I guess looking out for us as the only girl or maybe two girls in a team and um, yeah I just honestly cannot speak highly enough of my junior experience um, at Camberwell.
2: And who were some of your coaches and some of those players you played with that are still around the club now who are some
1: of those names? Yeah so Sal too. Um, well, <laughs> Ian Toyser, <laughs> yeah, it got, got through her. Ian Poyser, um, yeah, those two were kind of early days. And then um, as I progressed through uh, quite a lot of the boys um, who were playing uh, State League or Premier League now at the time, so Jimmy Webster, Tom Webster, I uh, had Deckers at one stage. I still remember getting told off by Deckers. I think it was Deckers. Someone, anyway, I was at like left half back and I cracked the ball across the other side of the field to that like, right half back basically split their press. It was a risky pass, but it got through. And I remember getting um, (laughs) told off to never do that again. So uh, as you can see, that message has stayed with me. But no, 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 he was um, was awesome. And um, they were always just so positive and encouraging. And um, the uncles, boys I had as well. I'm going to forget lots of them. So apologies to any of them that are forgetting. I feel like Tom Winter would want to...
0: Tom Winter will want to show it out. Yeah, uh, we won the premiership with him under 17 Bs. That was great. Yes, Tom would definitely want to shout out.
2: <laughs> I saw Tommy uh, Tommy Winter running on the Yarra Trail on the weekend. He looked very fit. So, yeah, uh, good on yeah, him. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, still, uh, still around. So, Laura, for you, uh, I know you played a bit with my nephew, uh, Maxie. Who else was in your Maxi Maxie Harris, who else was in your group?
0: Uh, yeah, Max, um, oh, Ben Mitten. And Sam Vanderclay, uh, we were sort of a, th- a bit of a three trio at one point. Uh, Patrick Guggenheimer, he was there with us, Soph. Yeah. Uh, Jack O'Shea. Yeah, probably a lot. Yeah. Played a lot with Soph's year especially. Um, yeah, that was a great team when I was top age, Soph was bottom age, and all those boys came through. Uh, forced to be reckoned with.
2: You went through some of these, uh, some of these rep teams, uh, state teams you then made and Obviously, a lot of those girls in the rep team, some other clubs uh, watching uh, you guys compete at the um, yeah, national championships for the for the Victoria and the Vipers, what have you. There seems to be a lot of strong friendships have been forged over many years. So that, that's obviously critical if you want to make Australian teams to have a good Victorian group that's sort of going in the one direction and work and feed off each other. Would that be, a, again, an opposite, a reasonable observation?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, especially when you start to go to kind of national camps and different things like that, to have a good group of friends that you can kind of bounce off and have there when you're in a national camp. But then even if you bring it back to Vic stuff, if you have girls that are your own age or are driven, um, I guess, in the same way at a Viper's level, it just makes training so much, I guess, easier and more enjoyable. You know, if everyone rocks up and no one wants to do the running and no one wants to be there and no one's, I guess, motivated to get any better, um, then you can very easily sink into those kind of habits. But um, we were very fortunate that the girls older than us and also around our age group and now also the girls coming through have been um, I guess, really passionate and have always wanted to improve and wanted to learn. And the older girls were happy to help us in that regard. Um, and then we've obviously learned that from now that we can pass that on to, when I say the younger generation, um, The I guess those girls that are coming through. Um, and yeah, just, I guess, foster that learning environment. So, um, it's not a hostile environment, it's an environment that is just so inclusive and they just walk in and they can just be themselves and, yeah, perform to the best of their ability.
2: And, Laura, you know, I've observed that group uh, obviously has had some you know, good success and, you know, a good number of representative Australian players. Um, you know, has that been a, um, you know important part of your career journey as you've um, been around the Australian squad, that, that Victorian uh, training and the programs in place?
0: A hundred percent and I think I would say i can speak for i reckon the other states and say that i think they're almost secretly jealous of how closely connected we are as a victorian group uh and over the years we've just seen more and more victorians make different rep teams state teams junior squads national squads Uh, but i think it's a real credit to the kind of culture that we have both in victorian hockey at a club level and then by the time you get to vipers that group of girls which we play with now um hockey club melbourne uh they're some of my closest friends are in that team and it's probably the funnest team I've ever been a part of. Actually this year, Georgie Parker, when she was um, commentating hockey one, she made this comment saying, you know, whenever I played against Victoria, I just got so jealous, like how close they were. It wasn't even fair. Like how could these girls be such good friends on the field? You shouldn't be allowed to be this good friends with the people you play with because clearly in other States, you know, they all make rep teams, but maybe they're not that close. And, we just all click so well. Everyone's friends with everyone. Yeah, so it's an amazing environment to play in. So when they're the kind of events which you actually end up being selection events, it doesn't even feel like selection events at Hockey One because you're just playing with your best mates and you just want to play for each other. And so, yeah, the Victorian culture we've got is amazing and I feel really grateful to be part of it and I feel like it's definitely Camberwell and Victoria has gotten us to where we are today.
2: So where you are today, you're in Australian squads and teams and and travelling the world and uh, it's, it's a fantastic, looks a fantastic lifestyle, but, um, you know, I know full well that it's a lot harder than some of the glamorous parts. Look, there's been some setbacks for both of you along the journey. I had talking to Jay Stacey last night on a similar podcast and, you know, a lot of people don't realise he as the Games record holder for Australia. He actually got dropped his second year in um, the Australian team for a whole year and um, uh, out of the team and, and he nearly quit and, um, and then went on to become, yeah, four Olympic Games. So everybody seems to have a story. For you, Sophie, I'm familiar with your chronic fatigue and how did that all sort of play out? What age were you? Was it around year 12, as I recall? How, and how have you recovered? What have you had to do to get over that?
1: Yeah, so I got diagnosed with chronic fatigue in—I'm going to say year twelve—but definitely was um, experiencing symptoms before then. Um, so I basically went from, I guess, as we have a painted in the picture, a very active kid. I um, played cricket Victoria too, and um, basically played every single sport uh, under the sun, and was out, you know, late after school, um, running around, and then all of a sudden went to the kid or young teenager who really struggled to get out of bed, um, had lost all motivation, for, I guess, anything and everything in life. I loved school and was really studious and all of a sudden really didn't want to go to school or couldn't concentrate in class. And um, it was a massive shock to the system. And um, for a long period of time, there was no real answer as to, I guess, you know, what was going on with my body. And um, yeah, went to lots and lots of doctors and they just couldn't, um, I guess, yeah, give me an answer, which was incredibly frustrating. So yeah, I managed that um, I guess, very, pretty seriously from about year 10 um, to probably about first or second year uni, um, and then we started to see some, I guess, improvements and changes. So it was a combination of overdoing it um, for way too long and just burning out basically, um, a combination of in terms of my dietary intolerances um, and also a bit of stress uh, and I guess anxiety and all those kind of things um, that came into it too. So definitely had different factors uh, that played um, its part. And it's something that I continue to manage today whilst um, I'll be someone who's probably always experienced chronic fatigue. I don't, I, I guess I live with it day to day and there's days where I, you know, if I don't get enough sleep or I eat poorly or whatever it might be, um, I really notice the impacts and the effects of it, um, but it's definitely not um, anywhere near as bad. Um, as it was, um, you know, when I was falling asleep in class and um, would be studying in my room and basically fall asleep studying. And I, yeah, pretty much didn't do any hockey for most of year 12. Um, So yeah, it's nowhere near as bad as that these days, but I just have to be careful and um, really prioritize, yeah, different things. I find alcohol for me not that I drink a lot when I do drink, but um, even a glass or two just makes me feel absolutely like rubbish. So, um, and really triggers those kind of symptoms. So um, for me, it's kind of something that, yeah, I just doesn't, it's not even part of my life um, these days because I just hate feeling miserable. So, and tired and fatigued. So um, yeah, I guess that kind of, I managed that for a period of time and um, yeah, then came out the, I guess the other side of it. And then um, funnily enough, got glandular fever. So most people get glandular and then chronic fatigue, but my body um, decided to do it the other way around. So then, um, yeah, had a period of time where I was pretty unwell with glandular and then, again, managed that for weeks to months following because glandular typically lingers um, and then was the, the, I guess, the fear that it would relapse into um, chronic fatigue again.
2: Well, again, I, I must have this job because I understand you, you guys, you know, have been through similar things, but I, I've had a lot of chronic fatigue from too much housework around so <laughs> I've had to manage it very carefully. Now, <laughs> Laura, um, you've had your own set. you explode exploded into the national team and then, found yourself out of the squad that's obviously incredibly difficult but you know the great part of this story and talking tonight is that um you know you got back in and that must be you know sort of doubly pleasing now you, you had that sort of almost setback you does know, it feel you know more special now and, and can you tell us a bit about what happened and, and how you handled it?
0: Yeah sure so I was in the squad uh in 2016 for the Olympic campaign for Rio in 2017. And then at the end of 2017, I was unselected from the squad and it probably came as quite a shock. I thought that I was playing quite well actually and I got quite nice feedback from my teammates. So, yeah, when sort of you get told, oh, well, you're now not in the squad, yeah, it can really throw you off, especially when you didn't really see it coming or anything like that. Um, So, yeah, it might sound kind of cliche, but it was definitely, you know, One door closed and another door opened. And so I actually got the opportunity then the following year because I wasn't in the squad and I basically had nothing on my radar. I actually finished my uni degree the day that I was unselected from the squad. So all things just finished in my life. And so the following year in 2018 with no uni and no real hockey opportunities in Perth, I tried to find a club over in Holland and I was lucky enough to be uh, wanted by HGC in uh the Hague and yeah as i said it was basically like a forced one door closed and then this other door opened and as a kid i think we all dream of playing over in holland and playing with the best of the best uh but when you're sort of in the national program or you're in the VIS and you're getting there slowly there's never really what seems like a good time to go overseas just because you might think oh i'll be selected for the next thing no i'll go the following year i'll go the following year so i was actually yeah really lucky that i was basically given this free year where I didn't have any other commitments. And so I thought, oh, I'll head on over there. And it was just, yeah, an incredible experience. And then to be able to play a whole season over there, promote with the team, which I was with. So we won our premiership and so we made it into the top league, which was the Hoof classer. And then come back, play an awesome season with Hockey One with an awesome bunch of people, as I mentioned before. And then to be selected back in, I honestly feel like it, the luckiest girl in the world, got to play in the Australian team, play overseas. Now I'm back in. Uh but yeah, there's a bit of a sense of a different feeling this time. I think when I was in it initially, I was this young girl who was just excited to be here. That kind of like, oh, I'm just excited to be here. I don't really care what happens. Like, I just get to train with the Australian team. This is amazing. To now, someone I feel like I've grown, got a lot more confidence in my hockey. And yeah, now I'm actually like, not just I want to be here, but I want to make an impact. I want to be selected. I want to go to the Olympics. I want to win a gold medal. So I feel like I've got bit more of a determined mindset this time
2: yeah look it is interesting I think you yeah, know the, the key message I've to this is that if you keep persevering and taking opportunities you never know what happens it doesn't always go according to plan or positively but uh, you can either quit or you can um, keep putting yourself on the line and it's hard sometimes but to then hear those stories both your stories to um, it makes it all the worthwhile when it's been so hard but yeah it's been fantastic that it's been so hard in some ways that you've got those rewards and uh, it's just good tonight to be able to actually hear some of the background to it rather than just seeing you in an Aussie shirt and people think it just happens uh, without too much behind it. Um, now, let's chat a bit about um, in the Aussie program. I'd be really interested to hear uh, what stuff you do now and there's all different ways we could talk about this. But what about, you know, the? so chat briefly about the, the physical demands of the program. Um, we'll talk a bit about the mental side, perhaps the... Um, the technical skills, the stuff that they focus on. Let's, let's just start with the um, the physical side. You know, I remember Charlesworth's words as the ultimate competitor and uh, hockey player that I ever saw, and as a coach, the, the great coach, his words were, uh, the physical part's the easiest. He said, anybody can do that. You don't have to be talented. That's just, you just do that. That's a given. Um, I wish it was true because it always <laughs> seems uh, very hard to me. How do you guys see that? Physical side, I'll start with you. So, first, the you know, you've obviously trained very hard and you look after your body and do everything right. Um, what's it like in that program? Is it very strict about what you've got to do and, and don't do it? Do you get a bit of freedom to to run your own physical programs when you're in the program?
1: Yeah, once the um, program is going and is in full swing, um, we're pretty much un- um, under their guidance as to everything that happens. So, um, we did a, like an absolutely epic pre season um, and the group came back the fittest it's been. Um, in a long period of time, which was, I guess, incredibly, um, yeah, pleasing to see that the hard work that we'd all put in um, and what had been scheduled for us um, had the desired, um, I guess, um, output um, because there's nothing worse than doing
2: what. what was the focus of that program, sorry. So what was the focus? Was it sprint work, long distance, everything? What sort of stuff did you do?
1: Yeah, probably building more of a VO2 max. So um guess increasing our aerobic ability, but then also with some anaerobic sprint kind of type work in there as well. Um, with the demands of hockey these days, you can't just be, able to run for 35 minutes like we used to in a, in a half a hockey. You have to be able to um, have a good aerobic base, but you have to be able to sprint. You have to be able to change direction. You have to be good anaerobically as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess some examples of a couple of sessions, uh, I was actually having a look at them um, the other night. We did uh, 12 400s, so three sets of four 400s at a pretty decent pace with um, about a 45-second break in between each rep. Um, that was an example of a session. We had a nine... Nine times 600 session, um, that was absolutely brutal. That was one of the worst ones of pre-season. Uh, and then also <laughs> I think we had 15 300s at one point as well. So um, the good thing about the longer ones is you have less reps and then once you get through one, there's less to go. Um, whereas trying to get through 15 reps of 300s was, um, yeah, pretty brutal. Mm. LB and I actually did that session together and I think <laughs> we still have nightmares about it.
2: Have you ever done a program? ever done a program as hard as that before and do you feel significantly fitter? right now than what you might have been a year ago or a year before that?
1: Yeah, that was definitely um, the hardest preseason program I've done. I mean, I feel like I've done some pretty challenging ones, um, before but this one was yeah I guess the hardest in intensity and duration and um, I guess their expectation as well you want to go into an Olympic year as fit as you possibly can um, and yeah I mean I PB'd on my testing when I returned uh, to Perth which is a positive sign as did a lot of the girls so yeah it was uh, yeah some fond memories and hopefully we'll get to all go through again another one again leading Yay. into next year.
2: <laughs> now Laura you would smile and laugh um, on, a, on a bad day and, and probably during Um, pre-season running but tell me (laughs) you you didn't smile through this did you how how did you handle
0: it oh there is a photo of me actually smiling up this hill but it was at Rutnest Island so you know we had some great scenery around us (laughs) Uh but yeah no it was very challenging I was actually really thankful that Sophie and I were doing our pre-season together and we had a few friends come along and join different sessions so that probably made it easier that you actually had people because yeah if I was doing any of that alone could have easily just tapped out at any point. So, yeah, it was very challenging. And so that's why I mentioned we've got about three more pre-seasons to go probably until next year. But at the end of the day, we'll be fitter, we'll be stronger.
2: Now, the mental side, obviously, when you're in an Olympic group squad and all the chat every day is about the Olympics and there's competitive stuff around form and selections and and pressure. What are the secrets? Do you work it out yourself, the way you keep yourself in good moods and spirits and how do you handle every day? It's hard to go every day and not be... uh, have your ups and downs. Are there techniques and stuff that you've used? Uh, that's one side of the question. The other side would be nerves when you go to a big game, whether it's a selection, whether it's a game you desperately want to win. How do you guys? it will start with you. So, how do you handle nerves and 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 stress stress around um, you know these squads? Are you, are you getting as you get more mature? Are you getting um, better at it? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I think um I guess every opportunity you get to play, train or put yourself in an environment where you're uncomfortable is a chance to learn and chance to improve. Um, so yeah, I guess it's something you probably do get better at over time. But in saying that, um, I don't think it's linear. I think it's something that um, every athlete will have different challenges uh, with at different times, um, depending on kind of life situations. Um, I guess a technique that I've used probably came into my life a couple of years ago was um, started to do a lot more yoga um, and started to kind of I guess focus on breathing and I guess um, being a bit more mindful and being a bit more present. Um, I'm someone that um, is very very busy typically um, as a lot of us are and LB is the same and um, I won't speak for LB the same being not being present or those kind of things but more in my case is more I find that my I just drift off and I'm in one place trying to do one thing but my brain is in somewhere else and then all of a sudden I'm somewhere else and I'm trying to do five different things at once and I do none of them very well. So I've tried to use, I guess, the breathing and the mindfulness and different techniques like that um, to kind of help, I guess, manage my nerves and so that it might be in the lineup before we run out to sing the national anthem or it might be just before we're singing the na- national anthem and all of a sudden you get this uh, spike in adrenaline and, coming back to my breathing, starting to settle myself down and um, really ground yourself and actually be present um, in that moment because um, for the people that have got to sing their national anthem representing Australia, it's a pretty incredible feeling and it's probably the one that brings out, I guess, the most emotion in me and so that's a chance for me to really ground myself before we um, head out, I guess, to play. Um, But yeah, for me, I mean, I've worked with a sports psych um, through periods of um, my sporting career to date and it's actually something on my to-do list at the moment to reach out to one again and just to continue those conversations because I think I mean whilst I would have loved the Olympics to have gone ahead this year there's definitely plenty of learnings that I've taken for the first couple of months and I think having the support of a sports psych throughout these last couple of months, just to talk about different um, things performance wise and things like that would have been incredibly beneficial. So that's definitely going to be a learning that um, I'm going to take forward into next year um, to make sure that I have, I guess, someone in my back pocket. So um, when I'm leading into a yo-yo test and having a bit of a breakdown beforehand, um, as LB can attest to, (laughs) I can manage it a little bit better and um, I can then, yeah, not just perform off adrenaline and then break down after. the test because I'm just so emotionally and physically exhausted because at the end of the day um when you're in olympics and ideally that's our dream we want to go to one um you're probably going to be you know that's going to be the peak of any kind of anxiety or um nerves or anything like that because at the end of the day that's the the pinnacle of the sporting event um and ideally everyone's going to be in the best possible form so you want to be in the best possible shape and form mentally and physically so to have techniques um, so that when those high pressure situations arise again, um, you can, I guess, deal with them as um, as best as possible. So this is actually a great reminder. I'm going to go tick that thing off my to-do list tomorrow.
2: <laughs> and Laura, you know, you've had, I guess, different challenges um, for you, you know, coming into the program again would have been interesting, you know, feeling perhaps like an outsider to come back in and having an opportunity to, to make your presence felt. Is that sort of a mental challenge, how you approached that, or did you just slip straight back in like you've never been away.
0: Well, I'm actually, I was pretty lucky. The group of girls which I came back into the team with this year are such a great group and almost, it was quite different in 2016 when I first joined the team. Everyone was a bit older than me. Uh, There were some almost idols who I looked up to and so I don't know if I ever really felt like I was their teammate. It was more, they were often always, oh, I just want to be like Madonna Blythe. I thought, oh, my God, I'm playing against Casey Uh, where this time the girls I'd gone through a bit more of junior Australian things with and I'd gone through some VIS and I'd seen them all because they were around my age. So I was really lucky and they all provided such a welcoming environment. The team culture we've got at the moment is incredible. And so, yeah, I did feel like I sort of was able to slot back in and I think, but I felt from a mental side of things, I was just a lot more confident in my own ability after going to Holland. As you would know, Dutch hockey is incredible, but it can also be quite isolating. One being an international over there, uh, but two, they're quite uh, self-driven and they focus on themselves a lot—not in a selfish way, but uh, they're very focused on how they went in the game. And they do a lot of self-reflecting. And you don't often get the immediate feedback or acknowledgement from parents and coaches and other teammates that you might get in Australia. I think. We're really good at mateship and uh, pumping each other up in Australia and so telling people if they play well or if they don't play well. Wherever in Holland it was a bit different, you almost weren't given any kind of feedback at the end and so I struggled with that to begin with. But over my time there I just had to almost learn to give myself my own feedback, form my own kind of confidence and so that's really helped me coming back into this year because I know um, that I am good enough to be here and, yeah, I've got this, I'm able to Almost gain my own confidence.
2: Yeah, that's um, really interesting observations about the Dutch. Um, I think they're often in my time too busy getting to the bar to get a beer ready before they get <laughs> feedback. Now, um, what I was going to um, talk about. So, what? Tell me sort of briefly for both of you, what's the focus of your games? The key things, the one or two things in your game that you've got to do well to play well. Um, let's start with you, Soph. What are the as a sort of a, a midfield type defender? Um, in that squad what are your couple of key objectives when you're playing pretty consistent things that you're focused on
1: yeah just before I start um give good as a call and tell him that I'm a midfield defender because he will love that um <laughs> I wish I had the skills to back up the midfield type defender um probably more on the defensive side of things I'm trying to work on my o- offensive game right now as we speak um no but in terms of I guess my focuses um, having a good um, game in terms of being able to distribute the ball um, in terms of all different types of passing, um, outletting skills. Um, so, not limited just to a push or an overhead, but basically being able to hit, slap, tomahawk, um, break lines, but also be able to play short um, is, I guess, a key to my game. Um, and then I think something that's coming to the women's game around the back in the defensive line. More recently is our, pos- our positioning, um, so moving between a back three and a back four um, to set that up and also to receive um, already eliminating the pressing line so then we don't actually have to um, do a whole lot. We can actually look pretty skillful without doing a whole lot um, against the opposition pressing line, so that's been a skill that I've been really working on. Because um, in if I had an ideal world, I would literally just trap the ball and pass it, and yeah, then move on to the next skill. Um, because that's my strength. Um, so they're the main things I guess with the ball. Um, in terms of without the ball, again, um, I guess I feel like I've taken some pretty big steps forward in the last, I guess, eighteen to um, twenty-four months um, of intercepting and marking and those kind of things. Previously. One of my strengths is my tackle. So I was quite happy uh, for the player to get the ball and I feel pretty comfortable to take the ball off them. Um, whereas now the focus is to not actually let them get the ball. So getting your marking lines right, um, reading the play pretty well um, to be able to jump in front and then to have an attacking opportunity um, off it has been, I guess, yeah, I guess the strength of oh, is a strength of mine now and um, something that I need to do um, to make sure that I'm having an impact on the game. And then I guess the thing without the ball. In, in general is actually my communication. Um, this is probably, I'd almost put it as the top of my uh, strength pillar in terms of above all hockey skills on field communication. So being able to call lines, calling different things as I see them on the field. Uh, and I guess that's a bit of a role that I've probably taken on board in amongst our Aussie group um, just through chats with the coaching staff and, um, yeah, the ability to set up presses but the ability to set up, you know, attacking plays as well uh, and to try and make um, them happen um, I've always just communicated I think being a defender you kind of have to communicate otherwise you get shown up so I learned that at a pretty young age that I just had to yell at the boys and hopefully they would move and help me out and all the rest so um, yeah that's I guess uh, something of mine that you know needs to be at a good level for me to um, yeah be playing well and um, yeah as important as a defender.
2: It all makes sense and it sounds pretty accurate from what I've seen. And, and Laura, for you, what are your couple of keys? Um, I guess it depends whether you're sort of midfielder or a, or a striker. What, what are the things that you think about in your game?
0: Sure. Well, uh, Sophie and I have clearly played a lot of hockey together because I would also love a, a game where we just <laughs> trapped it and passed it. So we must have learnt something uh, important at Camberwell uh, because, yeah, my passing would probably be one of my biggest strengths uh, if possible. I don't want to be running with the ball. Uh, I haven't got the speed. Uh, And I'm happy to admit that. So I'm happy to give the ball off to the girls around me who have got the speed and they can go and do their flary things and uh, sprint past those defenders. But I really like to be almost like a link player. Uh, I love reading the play and I love, once again, getting into positions because I might not be the fastest person on the field rather than having to chase, uh, almost being pre-prepared, getting to a good position, being able to intercept and then link that pass to the next player And just form little links across the field and almost get the other players around me running, going around. Yeah, I've always loved being basically an assist. I always wanted there to be a bit of an assist (laughs) tally when it came to goal scoring because, yeah, there's people who can score goals. But, you know, you need need to acknowledge the people who assist those goals as well. So, yeah, probably passing. And also another one, really big one for me, would be receiving in movement. Uh, Whenever I receive stationary, I almost can tell from the beginning it's going to be a bad game. I haven't got that good awareness, Uh, I don't really know who's around me and I can be shut down quite quickly if I don't receive with some kind of movement. So head checking, looking to see where the space is so that I can get that first touch to the space and then get the ball off as quickly as possible to get that next pass away.
2: Cool. That sounds, again, pretty spot on and pretty logical for midfielders, and especially as you play at this level where you get such little time. You need Mm. to use those little tricks to... um, to be able to get the ball and make passes we get away with it at the lower level. So good luck with all of that. Now, let's quickly touch a bit on families because, you know, both of you have got incredibly um, helpful families uh, around the, the Campbell Camelot Club, certainly, and, and also other levels. But um, can we just give them... A, I don't a chance too often to say, not thank you, but can we just acknowledge a bit about both of them? I guess, um, you know, Libby and Pete, for you, Sophie, and um, Michael and Rosie, for you, Laura, have been amazing um, around the club. Has that been, um, And I guess, more importantly for you two through your journey, they've always been there. What sort of um, you know, journey have they been on? How, how do you, I'll start with you, Laura, how do you sort of think about their their impact on your, uh, your hockey? They've been there all the time, I guess.
0: Well, I think we could all probably say this, but I definitely wouldn't be at this level of hockey if it wasn't for them. I'm so thankful for them being my number one and two supporters I've got. Um, and, yeah, being so involved in Camel Hockey Club, I think, Yeah, as you said, they've made such an impact at the club. I'll be over in Perth because I actually haven't played too many games over the past few years at Campbell, but I still feel as connected as ever. Dad would send me photos every week, every month. Oh, Laura, look, this is the clubhouse. This is what it's looking (laughs) like. Oh, check this out. Like, he's so proud of it and that makes me really proud that they're into the club just as much as I am. And, you know, dad still complains that there's no left-handed hockey stick, but he's still happy (laughs) to go down every week and um, watch me play, give me all the feedback which he thinks he wants to give me. (laughs) Um, And same as mom, she loves to take her claim that she played school hockey for a few years. And so, you know, that's where I got the hockey genes from. So yeah, unlike maybe other parents who, uh, other families whose parents actually play mom and dad I think mum's played one game and she's still really proud of that. But dad has never played a game for Camberwell, yet you wouldn't know it because he's down there all the time and he loves the club so much. And so, yeah, I can't thank them enough for how much enthusiasm and support they've given me over my journey and also how much they've given back to Campbellwell Hockey Club. I think everyone, yeah, would love to thank them as well.
2: Well, you might want to tell your father that uh, two of the greatest ever players were left-handed in Rick Charlesworth and Jamie Dwyer on the men's side.
0: <laughs> I try and tell him. I try, and I say that the tomahawk is out there now, and he can do that tomahawk. And he's oh no, no, no. He also One's wants the stick late. to be longer because his back hurts. So.
2: <laughs> well, so Pete's out there on a Monday night. Still, he's out there on the right wing. He gets his son Cal, out there umpiring. Doesn't give doesn't give Pete a free hit ever. So. Uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think Dad scored more goals in um in Masters in his short career than I probably have in my entire career, so I'm a little bit wow. jealous there. <laughs> yeah, they've been incredible. Um I guess um yeah, both at the club but also, you know, at home. Um we I guess established early on that I didn't want to come home and um, you know, debrief every single thing about hockey for me. I guess home was a place that Um, I could kind of remove myself from hockey and um, I didn't want to sit at the dinner table and, you know, debrief everything. So they've been incredibly understanding, I guess, with those kind of things. And um, I'm very, very thankful because I honestly don't think I would uh, be still playing hockey if they were parents that wanted to sit down and chat for hours and on on end about um, different things (laughs) to do with hockey. Um, But yeah, I mean, you just reflect back and all the early mornings before we could drive, all the late Friday nights, like goodness knows, we went out to some, you know, far places in Victoria at 8, 9, 10pm on a Friday evening and it was pretty cold in the middle of winter and I was running around and I was cold and um, as any parent has to, they have to stand there and, I mean, they love it or they say they love it um, And <laughs> but they're freezing cold. So, and all those kind of things, all those sacrifices, um, yeah, again, all the trips we've been very fortunate enough to go on um, thanks to the support of, uh, I guess, our parents um, yeah, I just, like, honestly, yeah, you can't thank them enough. And it's so special, um, I guess, now that uh, in the last, I guess, 18 months they've been able to um, come around Australia a little bit and then um, across to different countries um, to watch me play. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, I guess, incredibly special because um, whilst it was, I guess, it is my dream to represent Australia, they are a part of that dream. And um, I still remember when I found out that I was going to make my debut and, like, basically just bawled um, once I got the email and then went straight across to dad's work um place and mum was there at the time and like walked you know like sheepishly and and was like what's going on like you know what have you done and you know got to tell both of them that um yeah i would be making my debut and um that's such a fond memory um of mine to be able to share this um journey you know with them and also have them as part of the journey as well
2: fantastic and um you know this the club clearly when your international stuff takes you all over the world you do lose some connection but one thing I guarantee is it is a great thing to be able to come back to somewhere that's familiar uh, when the time's right because those people that will be listening tonight, I'm sure, to this podcast, there's a lot that follow closely both of your careers and, um, you know, if you do get that chance to get to Tokyo, they'll be the ones up in the middle of the night. Uh, across the board, you'll be surprised how many people um, do actually follow it from not just the um, the obvious ones, but it's a, it's a big club and um, uh, there'll be a lot of people you know, cheering, cheering you on from home. The, um, I guess the last thing i was sort really going to touch on a bit is outside of the hockey. You both, uh, I see on social media stuff, you're both obviously very good cooks or certainly uh, having a good try. <laughs> um, what What are the things outside of hockey that uh, your sort of passions both start with you, uh, Laura? You're um, obviously um, always baking and doing other things. What else is in your life?
0: <laughs> oh, well, I actually, uh, when I got back from Holland, I decided that I wanted to uh, become a nurse. So I did an undergrad in food science. Uh, And then I thought, I think I want to keep food as a hobby. Clearly, I still do cook a lot. But I yeah, really wanted to be a nurse. I realized there are a lot of uh, amazing and influential women in my life who were all nurses. And I thought, oh, I actually think I really want to be one too. And so I'm doing a master's of nursing at the moment. So that's actually kept me really busy. I'm into my second semester Um, And it's sort of good to know that if another virus hits, hopefully my uh, profession will still be around. (laughs) That's sort of one positive I can see. Uh, So, yeah, I'm doing that a lot. Uh, Still, yeah, a lot of cooking. Um, As Soph mentioned before, I've also gotten into a bit of yoga, definitely more of the stretchy kind, the one which I can just roll over and sort of relax for five minutes into a position. Uh, But, yeah.
2: Fabulous. Well, that's, I mean, it's so important to have other things because whilst hockey is, incredible uh, opportunity it's um uh you know it doesn't go forever as well no so having those other things that get you passionate about and, and you're obviously incredibly passionate both of you to get to the level you got to Sophie obviously physio is a big part of your life
1: yeah definitely so I finished my degree midway through last year and um I guess that's something I probably looking back also credit my parents too in terms of making me continue to study um as I was playing hockey there was a couple of moments there where Firstly, I almost stopped physio, but I almost stopped studying in general. I was like, oh, I'll just be a hockey player and I'll earn millions. Um, I learned pretty quickly that that is not the case. Um, So for anyone aspiring to make lots of money off hockey, unfortunately, that's not the case. Make sure kids, you keep studying. It's so important. But no, seriously, um, physio for me um, is something, it's my outlet. It's my passion. I absolutely love it. Um, I'm actually working over in Perth in a private practice now um, three days a week. Um, and whilst it's had its moments at times just being a new grad and uh, I guess finding it very overwhelming and you've got a patient present, and you're going, oh, I have no idea what is going on with you. And I have to, you know, come to a conclusion. Um, but for me, that's been a great challenge outside of hockey. And it keeps me, I guess, on my toes, but it also keeps me mentally fresh um, as well. I've said, I basically say this to any single person that ever asked me, I guess, about hockey and um study and work. I could not just be a hockey player. Um, I would, yeah, I would have stopped the game a long, long time ago. As much as I love the sport, I need something outside of it um, to challenge me and to put a lot of my energy into. So yeah, physio for me is something that's a passion. Um, I'm also now qualified throughout the process, a qualified Pilates instructor um, and now looking into maybe doing my yoga qualification too, um, just because I love that space um, so much. So um yeah there I guess a couple of things that keep me busy love a good podcast um love to read a good book Elba and I are actually in the same book club at the moment so if anyone listening's got any good uh uh book recommendations yeah, to us yeah we'd love to hear any other podcast recommendations I've, I have listened to a lot but again would love some more um any Netflix you know while we're here um but no uh, lots of different things um yeah to keep me busy off the hockey field
2: well, I think it's a good spot for us to finish up, and it's been great. And thank you both. It's a fascinating insight into, you know, what's going on, what's what's been the journey. But uh, of course, the main probably message from the club and all the Cambridges members, and even the outsiders listening to this tonight, is to wish you to, yeah, uh, you know, all the best over the next 12 months, and hope you get to fulfil your dream. And 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 then obviously after that, wherever your careers go with both hockey and uh, and off field. But well done so far. It's been an amazing effort to. to dedicate yourselves to play at such a high level and obviously to conduct yourselves in, you know, outstanding young young ladies and the way you um, carry on. I think you're great role models for, for hockey particularly. So well done and um, from the club, all the best from me and thank you.
0: Thanks very much, David. Thank you so much, David, and thanks for the whole of Camberwell. We're very lucky to have all of your support.